Good morning, sunrise. So good to see you all this morning. I'm Dan, the worship pastor here, and it's great to be in service, connecting with you all, and uh, ready to worship our Lord and Savior today together. Why don't you guys stand with us? We serve a great God, and uh, He is good. He is faithful. We can depend on Him, on His promises throughout the Scriptures, throughout the Word. And that's what we're going to sing. We just want to start out with this morning. A song called Take You at Your Word. We read in the Scripture, um, one of the most memorable, I think, uh, Scripture is, Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's the first words we're going to sing this morning. So let's, let's sing these words. Let's believe them, that what His Word says is true. We can depend on it. And let's give our all this morning. Let's sing together. a lamp unto my feet your way is the only way for me it's a narrow road that leads to life but I want to be on it it's a narrow road but the mercy is wide cause you're good on your promise here we go Take you at your word. If you said it, I'll believe it. I've seen how good it works. If you start it, you complete it. I'll take you at your word. And you speak. And the chaos fell in line. I know, cause I've seen it in my life. It's a narrow road that leads to life, cause I wanna be on it. Oh, it's a narrow road, but the journey is high. But you parted the water. Your word, you said it. I believe it. I've seen how good it works. If you start it, you complete it. I'll take you as sing it again. If you said it, I believe it. I've seen how good it works. If you start it, you complete said your love will never give up. You said your grace is always enough. You said your heart will never forget or forsake me. You said I'm saved. You call me yours. You said my future is full of your hope. You never failed, so I know that you'll never fail me. You said your love will never give up. You said your grace is always enough. You said your heart will never forget or forsake me. You said I'm safe. You call me yours. You said my future is full of your hope. Never fail, so I know that you'll never fail me. I'll take you at your word. If you said it, I believe it. I've seen how good it works. If you started, you completed. 
you started, you completed. I'll take you at your word. You're good on your promise. You're good on your promise. Amen. Yeah. That is good. Faithful.
glimpses of your glory, your holiness that would fill this place and overflow, God, filling all the heavens and the earth. Thank you for giving us glimpses of that. Thank you for your your perfection, your holiness, your goodness in this world that is broken. Thank you that you are with us. You guide us, you give us hope. Fix our eyes on you, God, that we will not lose hope, but we will trust in you. Thank you for your word that guides us too. Thank you that you are with us always. Open our eyes and ears this morning to hear from you, to see you in the faces of people around us, and not just here, but each day, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love. Thank you that we can rest in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, once again, good morning. My name is Dan. I'm going to now give you guys a couple of announcements after we can take a breath after worship. Um, but first of all, I want to welcome all of our, if you happen to be a first-time guest this morning, want to say a special welcome and thanks for coming today. Um, we have a QR code that's going to pop up in a second behind me. You guys can just quick zap that if you want. That'll take you to our announcement page. But on the top of that announcement page, there's this little banner that's um, specifically for our new guest students. Click on that, and there's a couple of questions you guys can answer that'll be helpful for us and helpful for you if you have any questions about Sunrise. Then after the service, you can head back to the Connect table where that giant New Here sign is. You guys can um, pick up a free gift that we'd love to bless you with for coming and hanging out with us today. So a couple of announcements for everyone for the life of the church coming up as we, geared, as we head towards fall. Life is getting a little busier with ministries starting up. 
Um, we have our fall kickoff happening on September 10th, so the week, the Sunday right after Labor Day. Uh, we'll be, you'll be, be able to learn about all the different ministries here at Sunrise with small groups, um, the women's ministry, men's ministry, all the things that are happening. We will be learning about those things during that service, so make sure you come on September 10th. Um, also in a couple weeks, some ways to connect coming up, Pub Theology is going to meet, uh, once again, this has been happening this summer this way, at the Matice House. So over in Granville, you can email um, Noah for the address if you'd like to hang out with us. It's just a time for guys to get together, maybe have a drink or not, and we just have a conversation over the fire, um, theological-ish discussions sometimes, just random life stuff we talk about too. So a great way to come out and connect. Um, next, we have Wine and Theology coming up on September 12th at 7 p.m. And again, this time, it's a little bit different as well. It's going to be at the Rosema residence. So um, as well, you can email Pam if you were wondering about the address. So again, this is for women. You can bring a glass of wine if you'd like to or not, whatever you want. Again, theological-ish discussion and again, just life happening stuff. So we, it's a wonderful time, once again, to connect if you're looking to meet some more women here at Sunrise and have great conversations. And lastly, um, a little sprucing up around the church going to be happening this in September. We're going to be painting the church this September. So if you would like, if you just get in your groove, get in your, um, just really enjoy painting, if that's kind of where your, your zen is, then Bruce is your person to see. So Bruce, could you actually stand up real quick? So <laughs> Bruce is on our board of directors team. And so find him if painting is your, is your jam. So... That is the end of my announcements. So uh, one, well, you know, you guys know our mission, one of our, um, our line at Sunrise is to bless the world with, through God's grace and love and so transform the world through God's, God's grace and love. So one of the ways we do that is through giving, through worshiping, um, through offering. So we're going to do that. As we continue the service, there's a box in the back. Um, the two ways to give online is the QR code right there, and also you can mail in a check as well. So we're going to continue by having a greeting time to connect with one another, and also the kids are free to go to their programming. So let's talk for a few minutes. Today is the last sermon in the Haggai series, and so we're going to be finishing this up. And uh, next week, we are in for a special treat. While Amy and I are going to be out performing a wedding, I'm actually going to be doing the heavy lifting. She's going to look pretty and probably eat pasta. Um, we have our, our dear friend, uh, the Reverend Bill Vanderwerp, is going to be here to bring the message on Sunday. So let's be thankful for that. Yeah. Bill and Amy have been attending for about, what, six or seven months or so? So uh, we decided it was time to get a good RCA boy up here in the pulpit and uh, fix some of my theology over the last several months. I thought that would get a better reaction. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm only one man, right? That's the, that's the thing. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 20 through 23, and the title of today's message is, It's God's work. Um, I don't know about you, but every time that I've taken a new job, I've always uh, gotten a job description. And as I've read through the job description, a lot of times, uh, you know, when you're in pastoral ministry or you're doing things in kingdom work, you'll get a job description and it'll, it'll be things that honestly, let's just be honest, the Apostle Paul and Jesus couldn't check off all of the list, right? Um, you know, has to be a people person, but loves to study eight hours a day and has to be somebody who, you know, all this kind of stuff, has a doctorate, but it's 28 years old, and all of these kinds of things. But, but at the end of every job description that I've ever received in my entire working life, there's always been this little addendum, and Debbie, I blame human resources people like yourself. You can take the credit, you can get the blame, right? Both of those things. And any other duties assigned by your immediate supervisor. Anybody ever got a job description that says that, right? The last little thing? And basically, it's a catch-all that means, and anything else we decide to throw on your plate, you have to do it or we can fire you. <laughs> You're like, this turned dark in a hurry. <laughs> right? And, and so here's, here's the thing, though. In some instances, right, in some of the jobs that I've had, um, this has been kind of a blessing, it's been a blessing in that it allows you to sort of try new things and learn new skills, and, and it allows you to take risks. It allows you to, to become, if it's done well, more valuable 
to the ministry, to the company, to the church, whatever it is that you're serving. But I've also been in situations and had jobs where it's not been a blessing, but it's been a curse. The fact that you have people that are over you that are piling so much more work on you that you don't have time to do your own job for which you're graded on and your raise is tied to, it, 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 it can make for people being treated as a dumping ground for things that others don't want to do. And, and so as I was thinking about this this week, right, this, this idea of, of partnering with God in the work that he's called us to do, what makes the difference? What makes the difference in that little addendum, any other duties that are assigned to you by your immediate supervisor? What makes that a blessing and what makes that a curse? And the thing that I came down to was, well, what makes all the difference is who your boss is. It's the person you work for. If the person that you work for is good and trustworthy and has your best interest in heart, then this can be a blessing. If not, well, sometimes it can be a curse. Now, here's the thing, folks. So often we forget as God's people that what we do, what we are called to do, the work that we accomplish for the kingdom, we forget sometimes who we're working for, don't we? (laughs) We forget who the boss is. We forget that he can be trusted. Let's, let's look at these few verses here, and, and, and we'll make some observations as we, as we move along. Um, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of, of the month. And so, so what we see happening here is we're, we're actually getting the second half of the third prophecy so Haggai has come with this third prophecy. It gives us the day of the month that he comes. And, it's, and it almost reads like a PS at the end of a letter, right? And so it's like that, this one last thing that I'm, that I'm going to tell you. Um, it says, tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens, right? And so the second prophecy, second half of this third prophecy gives a specific instruction, not just to the people, but to Zerubbabel, right? How would you like this, right? Hey, guys, like, wait a minute, right? I'm getting something else. Oh, and it's for Zerubbabel, and I'm just going to tell him in front of you all. Great. Talk about accountability, right? So he tells Zerubbabel this specific thing, and, and, and this is how it starts. Tell him that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Now, if you remember, if you've been here this summer, um, and, and you remember going through some of these, these passages, you'll remember that, that this little phrase is going to ring a bell. It's not the first time that we've heard this, because in chapter 2, verse 6, we heard earlier in the previous prophecy that, that, that God had said, in a little while, I am once more going to shake the heavens and the earth. And we saw that this was a prophecy that God was going to show up and he was going to do something that only he could do. He was going to shake things up in the heavens, right, where the gods live, that place above the sky, and on the earth, the place where the kings, the representatives of these pagan or, or, or divine so-called deities exert their power. And, and, and what we see here is that what God had promised two months ago, he is telling the people, specifically those that are overhearing the prophecy, that he's about to fulfill his promise through Zerubbabel. He goes on and he says this, he says, I will turn chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Now, now the kingdoms that, 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 that he's talking about here are all of the earthly kingdoms that are around, right? Heavens and I'll shake the earth. And he's getting ready to say how he's going to shake the earth, that through uh, Zerubbabel, right, through this one he's talking to. He says that, that God is going to make good on his promises to overthrow 
those that are oppressing the people, to shatter the powers of those that are exerting their power and influence over the people, that he's going to overthrow the chariots and the drivers. It, it, it's a call back to something, right? They're, they've got to be thinking, the Israelites at this point, the call back to Egypt, right? Remember the, the story. This is a part of their shared narrative. This is part of their family story where, where Yes, he's going to overthrow the chariots. He's going to, to overthrow the horses and the riders. All of these mechanisms of war, all of this technology, God said, doesn't stand a chance when I get involved in the battle. And this last phrase, each by the sword of his brother, obviously is a callback to the day that Gideon overthrew the enemies of Israel with a trumpet, a pot, and a little bit of fire where 300 defeated thousands. Why? Because God showed up and the enemy turned their swords on one another. Right? That it wasn't about military might nor exceptional leadership for Gideon, and it's not going to be that way for the Israelites under Zerubbabel, but that God is going to accomplish the victory, that he will do for them what he has done in the past. Asked. All right, so let's, let's move on here. And on that day, declares the Lord Almighty. There's that little phrase again. We've seen that several times. On that day, we've heard that before. Declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now, this last, last little verse of of Haggai has, has been the source of, of, of confusion and consternation because with all of the information that we're given at this moment, those who are hearing Haggai's pronouncement have to be asking this important question. Is Zerubbabel the Messiah? They don't know. All they're, all they're given is this, this promise, this declaration Zerubbabel, the son of the son of Shealtel, declares the Lord, I will make you my signet ring. Now, there are several things that are, that, that, that are, that are underneath this that we're going to look at here in just a, just a second. But God is clearly saying that he's going to undo the curse that was proclaimed over Jeconiah when the people were carried off into captivity. The last king that ruled Jerusalem before everything was, was taken away and they were carried off into Babylon. The signet ring that was taken away from Jeconiah, as we see in the prophet of Jeremiah, is now given back in the person of Zerubbabel. And it makes me wonder. How do you stand up under so much expectation if you're Zerubbabel? Right now, we know looking back, Zerubbabel wasn't the Messiah. That was a guy named Jesus that would show up 400 or so years down, down, down the line. But, but for everybody listening, they're looking at Zerubbabel and they're like, oh my goodness, are you the guy? Are you the king? Are, are you the one that's going to come and to do these things? I'm reminded, and this may seem like a silly story for, for most of you, but, but I was reminded of, golly, years, over a decade ago now, probably 15 years ago, uh, the last time that I was in the, the horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio, watching the Buckeyes play. And it was a top 25 matchup, and it was Ohio State, and they were playing Washington State. And I was sitting way up in the nosebleed section, and there was a fellow that opened a Coke bottle right next to me, and when he opened the seal, I was alerted automatically, I was immediately alerted that that's not Coke in that Coke bottle. Um, I digress. As I'm standing there with 106,000 of my closest friends, right, shoulder to shoulder uh, in this space, toward the end of that game, the Buckeyes were absolutely dismantling Washington State, and there was a freshman, true freshman running back, 18-year-old young man by the name of Maurice Claret that ran for over 200 yards that day, and Jim Tressel, then the Buckeye coach, just kept handing it to the freshman, and they were beating the snot out of the Washington State defense. And in the fourth quarter, before Trestle begins to remove all of his starters, he keeps handing it to the freshman, and it's six yards up the middle, and it's seven yards around the edge, and it's 
three yards between the tackles. And he hands it to the freshman. And in, and as one voice, 106,000 people began to chant, Maurice, Maurice, Maurice. And I looked at my friend Justin, and I asked this simple question. How does an 18-year-old man deal with the worship of 106,000 people for what he's doing on a football field? And tragically... History has told us how Maurice dealt with that worship. I wonder what Zerubbabel felt. I wonder what he felt, but, but, but more importantly for our discussion today, what can we learn from a passage of Scripture that is so, so specific to a particular person, right? Every time we read the Bible, we're reading somebody else's mail, but, but, but specifically in this case, God is speaking this prophecy through Haggai over Zerubbabel, and, and it's complex in the fact that it was confusing then, so what in the world can we learn from it now? Well, I think there are a few things that we, we can learn, and, and, and I want us to maybe, maybe press into a, to a few thoughts this morning, because even passages that are descriptive of things that have gone on and not prescriptive specifically for us, they tell us a few things. They almost always tell us something about who God is, and they almost always tell us something about what He has done or what He is doing. And by extension, they almost always give us a hint of who we are, or more personally, who I am as a human. And there's almost always some sort of invitation, slight or inferred, of how I, of how we can join God in the work that he's accomplishing. So here's what I wonder. I wonder if this, this last three verses, this last bit of the prophecy of Haggai to Zerubbabel, I wonder if it isn't so much a promise that you and I will do great things as it is an invitation to join God in what he is about to do. And the only way that we can press into that invitation is understand who we are and what, our role, what role we play in partnering with him to fulfill his plan. In this passage, we see a few things, and I want to... Take just a few minutes here to look at some of the identity markers that are, that are spoken of, of, of Zerubbabel, because the, the reality is you have a, a group of people that are looking at this guy and they're thinking, is this guy the Messiah? That's their question. Is this the one who is the anointed one who's going to come, who's going to set all things right? Because the, the indication, the implication of what God has said through Haggai to Zerubbabel is that, hey, this might be the guy, so let's, let's keep a, an eye on him. But, but that's the implication. What, what's clearly said about Zerubbabel are, are a few things that I think can help us understand what this passage might have to say to us in our context. The first is that it says that he, Zerubbabel, is the governor of Judah. It speaks of his vocation. That he is God's servant. It speaks of his mission. That he is the son of Shealtel. That it speaks of his familial identity. And the fourth thing is it says that he is like, like God's signet ring. And it calls out his kingdom identity. So the first thing. Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah, and, and we see here that, that God is talking to him according to his vocational identity. Folks, what we do and who we are are two distinct things, but let's be honest that oftentimes many of us wear our vocational identity as a badge of honor while some others of us, whether it's through a job change or whether it's through unmet expectations, we carry our vocational identity as a shameful scarlet letter. The fact that, that, that the Zerubbabel was the governor of, of Judah came with some rewards or some responsibilities, right? It, it was able to put food on his table. It was able to clothe his children. It was able to put a roof over his head. It was able to, uh, to pay the internet bill, <laughs> See what I did there? 
but also vocation and work, it often gives, gives meaning and it allows, or it allowed him to use his skills and his gifts for the servants, for the service of, of God's people. But I'm reminded, I'm reminded um, as I read this passage and we talk about um, Zerubbabel's vocational identity, I'm reminded that sometimes I get wrapped up in the title above the door. For good or for bad, sometimes I can see myself as a title above the door, and the reality is, is I'm much more than a title above the door. Um, golly, I forget it was, it's in my middle 20s, close to, has to be over 25 years ago now, I became the senior pastor at Grace Baptist Church, and Jim Weiss, one of, one of our uh, trustees at the church, Jim was a, an unbelievable woodworker, and he showed up one Sunday, and he made this for me, and uh, he hung it on my door, and this was the first time that I had ever actually looked and, and seen the title pastor in front of my, my name. And the weight of that kind of struck me. But, but, but this morning, I, I want the weight to strike all of us in this sense, friends, is that God understood and he referred to, to Zerubbabel as the governor of Judah. But for good or for bad, for high or for low, whether it's a scarlet letter or whether it's a badge of honor, we all need to come to grips with the fact that we are much more than the titles that we carry. That your vocational identity is not your poorest identity. It's that if this goes away tomorrow, God is still concerned about who Dennis Moles is. That what I do to put a roof over my head or what I do to feed my family is not the sum total of what God has called me to be or how he has called me to function. And, and the reality is, that even if I go and I get a job flipping hamburgers, there is nothing in the world wrong with honest work. And I am no less God's son if I'm working in a service industry job or if I'm standing in front of a group of people preaching the word of God. You see, maybe one of the things that we can learn is that you're much more than the title that's over your door. The second thing that we see is that... It, is that this, this passage tells us that Zerubbabel was God's service, servant, is, is that it, it, it calls out his missional identity, the fact that he had a mission to fulfill, that he was doing something in service for God, and that Zerubbabel knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what God had called him to do when he left Babylon. He knew what he was supposed to be doing in the two decades where he kind of sat and didn't do the thing that God had called him to do. He knew the mission that God had sent him on, even when he wasn't accomplishing it. And this causes me to, to think and to wonder that sometimes my stated mission isn't my lived mission. Right? What am I called to do? Folks, as we're, we're we're in a strange, strange place where most pastors look more like a CEO or a performing artist than they do a shepherd or a teacher of God's word. Right? And, and so often we can get distracted by those things. And there are things that are, that, that, are, that are good things that can come up that can distract us from the things that we ought to be doing. And sometimes we, we spend so much time thinking about the things that we think are important, the things that we think make a difference. All right, I got to tell you, I love this little hat. I love it. I love my robes. Spent an entire year saving up my funeral and wedding money to buy those robes. But the reality is, folks, sometimes what we think is our mission, sometimes we think is what makes us important, sometimes we think is what makes us God's kind of person really, really isn't. See, it's not about titles, it's not about accomplishments, it's not about letters behind our name. When it really comes down to it, it's about serving God's people. Hmm. This is, by the way, wait, this is my little handy-dandy uh, communion set. If you're in the hospital, I smuggle this in with some grape juice in it. I can serve you that, right? See, Zerubbabel knew what he was supposed to do, but 
but he got distracted from what he was supposed to do. But the end of his story wasn't the fact that he was distracted for two decades. The, the end of his story, or, or the story that we get, is that he remembered before his work was done. Who he was and who God had called him to be. He was the son of Shealtel, and, and, and this tells us something about his familial identity. And unlike most of us, the rubble, he was not a nobody from nowhere, right? He wasn't a kid from Red House, West Virginia, the son of a laborer and the grandson of a truck driver or the great-grandson of a miner. He was one who was the governor of Judah, but he didn't just have the title governor over his door. He had the blood of kings running through his veins. This is my grandfather's prayer. This is how he started every prayer, and I think I maybe showed this a time or two before, but... um, I am super proud of of my heritage, and I'm super proud of where I I come from uh, because the name that I inherited was worth inheriting. They took care of it, and they gave it to me. And every time I ever heard my grandfather pray, he he started his prayer like this. And this this plaque goes up on my shelf. All the things that are up here, they're on my my shelf in my, my office. They're important pieces of me that tell a part of my story that mark an identity that hopefully is leading somewhere. But the reality is, folks, is that the faith of Damon Moles will not matter unless it is manifested, unless it is mine, right? God doesn't have grandkids. He showed me the way. He modeled the way. But now it's up to me. And it doesn't matter Ultimately, whose blood flowed through Zerubbabel's name, or his veins. The blood of your ancestors, my friends, does not make us noble or kingly, nor does it ensure that we will embrace the way of virtue and shun the way of vice. We make choices. And sometimes, sometimes I think that we forget that we're more than the name that we inherit positively or negatively, that all of us have the opportunity to leave a legacy, to leave the name that we have inherited in a better place than we found it. The last thing we see about Zerubbabel is that we see that he was God's signet ring. that he was chosen to be God's, like God's signet ring. And this talks about his kingdom identity. A signet ring is simply a, a ring with a seal on it. it. It allowed a person in ancient times to essentially do business in the name of another. Right? It was like, you, you, for lack of a better term, right? it's like dad's giving you the credit card. Or, or probably more importantly, it's it's what happens to, to some of us as we, we get older where our parents sign a piece of paper called a power of attorney. Where we're now responsible for medical or financial decisions. Essentially, that's what a signet ring functioned like. And God is telling Zerubbabel through Haggai is that you're the one who represents my rule and my reign in this space. You what you say carries the weight of what I say. I'm entrusting this to you. And friends, I think that for me, sometimes I forget that God chose me to do kingdom business in this time, right? He chose me to do his business in this time, in this space, and that he wants me to do it as myself and not somebody else. One of the greatest... So I get the opportunity to teach preaching to all kinds of, of, of young people. And I think one of the greatest struggles that I have and other teachers of preaching have is that quite often what we teach them to do is to preach like us, not to find their own voice. God has not called any of us to be somebody else. And here's, here's something else, folks, we need to understand is that God is pleased to use us just as we 
are. He is intimately involved. Even the things that have come into our lives that we wish had never been there, even the things that we struggle with, right? Who in the world would have thought that God would have used a kid from nowhere, Red House, West Virginia, who struggled with a learning disability all of his life, who, and if you have received an email from me, you understand I can't proofread my own writing for anything. <laughs> every, almost every time I write the word your, the R is missing. But yet, God calls us into places, and oftentimes what he says is, in your weakness, I will display my strength. And that's what he does. You see, folks, kingdom work, lest we not forget, kingdom work is God's work. He's the one who is accomplishing it and will accomplishing it. Remember, he's the one who shakes the heavens. He's the one who overturns thrones. He's the one who overcomes chariots and horses. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He was the king, even though Darius sat on the throne. He is the king, the king over Pharaoh and Eglon and Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus before Darius. He is the king who reigns after Darius, who was over Alexander the Great and Antiochus, uh, Antiochus uh, the Fourth Epiphanes and over Herod and over Caesar and over Constantine and over George the Third, who sings that absurdly catchy song in the Hamilton <laughs> musical. Chairman Mao will and does bow to King Jesus. And yes, whomever is the current or future occupant of that big white house at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is not Lord. See, my friends, empires rise and they fall, but they do so under the permission and the watchful eye of the God who is King and Lord and who is so assured in his kingship and lordship, that he does not need to stuff ballot boxes, nor does he rejoice when violent men take power at the point of a gun, as we have seen in Niger. While nations rattle and quake, as the scriptures talk about, he is not asleep. When the lava of social change flows freely, scorching the landscape of places that we once called home, we must not lose hope. When the wrong person, wrong person, wins an election, or when violence results in regime change, we do not fret, for he is not surprised, nor is he worried. He is Lord even when he evil seems to run amok. Armies cannot defeat his kingdom, nor can they build it. War machines or weaponry cannot destroy the kingdom he is building. He is Lord, period. Whether you or I or the folks outside of these walls acknowledge it or not, kingdom work. Kingdom work is not stopped by such forces. Kingdom work must be more than a job to pay the bills. It must be more than a fancy idea that lays flat on a sheet of paper. It must never be solely concerned with taking power and exerting influence. It must be lived every day, listen to me folks, in the mundaneness of everyday life by mundane and ordinary people. As the worship team comes to, to get our final song, the last thing we'll say is that even though all of that is true, my friends, we are invited inexplicably at times to participate with God in his work. So here's the, here's the challenge. Mark, here it is, right? It's my lightsaber. This is the most kingly gift I have ever been given. Um, and actually, it's, it's out of power, and the battery is really difficult to get out. And so um, it's actually more difficult to get back in, so it's not charged. But I've got a big... It, it changes color. It sings songs. It does all of these kinds of things. This is heavy. This is, like, made out of metal. Like, I couldn't really stab anybody with it, but if somebody broke in the house, I could hit them in the head, and they'd be like, ow! 
But no, this is, this is, this is my lightsaber. Well, this one of those lightsaber have to, have to do with this. And this comes from, um, it was something I was reminded of in a conversation I was having with one of your elders, Joe, Joel Rastall, a few weeks ago. And Joel said, we have to come to grips with the fact, or something like this, this is a paraphrase. Don't blame Joel, this is my paraphrase. Is that we have to come to grips with the fact that none of us are Luke Skywalker. But that God still loves us and he wants to use us. Zerubbabel wasn't the guy. And you know, folks, the reality is, is that probably neither of you, and I'm certainly not. I'm not Luke. I'm not the chosen one. Heck, I'm not even the random Jedi that is in the back with their lightsaber at Geonosis that's fighting the droid army. I feel like most days I'm more like droid number three that kind of scuttles in the background of the shipyard whose job it is to go and to scrape the space barnacles off the bottom of the, of the ship. There are times that I long, I long to be the guy. And I wonder, Lord, what, what have you done when, when, when my vocational world is falling apart or when my missional world has become all askew or, or, or when I, maybe I don't come from the right family or the right place or, or, or when people make fun of me for, for my accent or, or, or all, all matter of things. I know, right? Some of you, you laugh about that. Ha, 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 that's really funny. Um, right, but that's, there's all those realities but, but, but here's the thing all these things represent a, a piece of, of, of these competing identities that I, that I struggle with but, but the thing that I think that the Lord continues to teach me and, and maybe we see it in the life of, of Zerubbabel is that people were asking the question Zerubbabel are you the guy are you the Messiah and the answer that they would come to is no no he's not the Messiah he was just the guy who was responsible to rebuild the temple But that was a pretty good job. That was pretty important, right? He was just the guy that was responsible for representing, for building the thing that represented the rule and reign and presence of God among the people. <gasps> what if? What if you don't have to be Luke Skywalker? What if you don't have to be the Jedi on Geonosis? What, what, if, what if all you're called to be, what if all I'm called to be is droid number three, but that God wants to use those simple acts of mundane obedience to build the temple of God that represents the rule and reign of Christ among a world that so desperately needs to see him. So you don't have to move rocks. You don't have to lift an X-wing out of the water. You don't, you don't have to astro-project yourself to fight Kylo Ren. You don't have to do any of those things. What do you have to do? You have to be faithful in the mundaneness of life to obey God to do the things that he's called you to do. Well, what is, what is that, Dennis? Well, it's things like to, well, to seek justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly for your God. It's, it's about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, how do I know that I'm doing that right? It's what you love your neighbor as your Self, right? And in that way, we fulfill the call that God has placed upon all of us. <laughs> and that way, we're invited to partner with Him. In a couple of weeks, I get to have a phone conversation with a, with a young man who pastors a really big church in Ohio. And uh, Chris is a, about 10 years younger than I am. and he uh, is kind of one of our, our boys. He uh, lived with us for while he was going uh, for a year or so while he was going through college, and, and it's funny because we have these conversations. And he has done more in ministry through the world's eyes than I will ever accomplish. And in many ways, right? He's probably not Luke Skywalker, but definitely one of the Jedi at Geonosis. And I think the thing that the Lord is teaching me is that even when we're not able to do the grand and the great things, right? Even when Zerubbabel wasn't the Messiah, but God didn't need him to be the Messiah. He needed him to be Zerubbabel. And maybe one of the things that we're called to do is to walk beside those people, to, to leverage our strength under those that are around us 
so that for the sake of the kingdom, those that come after us will do more than we were ever able to do. So the challenge today is simple. Be you. Do your part. Because that's enough. How do you know that's enough, Dennis? Because it's not your work to begin with, it's his. And he has graciously invited you to join him in it. So Father, we pray for these friends. We thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to look at the prophet Haggai. And we, we do just pray that you would meet us in this space. Father, we love you. We pray for the courage and the strength to lay down our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground fame through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled when striving cease my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Let's stand together. Oh, 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 oh. oh.
Apostles writing to the church in the New Testament, he, he makes this proclamation, Christ in you, the hope of glory. As you go from this space, be reminded, we'll be reminded of this, this, there wasn't a prop for that fourth identity marker, because that's you. You, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we look at the name above the, the door. We, we look at the, uh, the accoutrements of the work that we do or the mission that we're on. We, we look at the examples of the things that we've inherited. But when you look in the mirror or when you look at your hands, that, that's the hope. Not because of you, but because of Christ in you. So go from this place knowing that he loves you and that he has invited you to partner with him in the mission that he is accomplishing. Go in his peace.